0: Welcome to the Hyman Cast, a podcast of the Hyman Settlement School, where we explore the history, culture, and people that make the Hyman Settlement School what it is today, and how this historic institution will continue to serve its mission of celebrating heritage and changing lives in central Appalachia. I'm Corey Terry. And I'm Jordan Collins. And welcome to episode number 23 of the Hyman Cast. And, Jordan, we have been in many different locations since the inception of the Hyman cast, but I yeah. thought, I never thought in my wildest dreams that we would be where we are today.
1: You no, know, you know, I keep saying that we keep moving up and I didn't know that we were going to be moving across the country.
0: Yes, so, yes. Here we are. So we are currently in Fallbrook, California, and uh I've never been out here. It's a beautiful, beautiful area.
1: They got mountains just like we do, but it's a little different. Yeah, just a little, a little
0: different. different. There's mountains, and then there's an ocean, and I wish we had that. Ocean would be great. Car Creek counts, right? <laughs> there is a beach there. So. Yeah, Car Creek Beach. And we have that. So, But we are in California uh, this week, and we got a big journey back to Hyman. Uh, we flew out here uh, to meet Miss Carolyn Weiss, who is our guest today. Uh, to pick up some dulcimers that she is donating to the Hyman Settlement School, and we are driving them back all the way across the country yep. in a Chevy Suburban. It's going to be
1: a road trip for sure.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, Carolyn, thank you so much for, for having us out here and uh, for everything you're doing with these dulcimers, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So, uh,
1: so We're going to start the show like we always start the show. Pick and coffee. that's. Oh. <laughs> tea this time but <laughs> usually uh we start with the uh the origin story. The origin we story. Wanna, we want to hear how you got to where you are now and kind of your beginnings and your uh your history, your life. Yeah.
2: Well, I was born not too far from here and my grandma was a church organist and um we just were always involved with music. Um my mom played the piano. It was by ear. My two sisters could read music but um I never could and then that made me feel kind of dumb until well I could hear music that my mom would play and my dad would sing and then mom played the auto harp and I could kind of pick that up. So that made me feel good. That was um I'm always chasing rainbows was the one song I learned on <laughs> the on the auto harp but um, after my husband and I got married he was taking guitar at um, downtown store and he said what's that instrument up on the wall and the owner said well that's the mountain dulcimer America's only instrument and so he got me one for Christmas and it sat for a year and then I thought well I do play the ukulele. I played that by ear. Maybe I'll trade it in since I already play it. And he said, well, it comes with four free lessons, so why don't you do that? So I started um, learning the way the Appalachian Mountain people played was just on the melody string, with the rest is a drone sound. And the early um, players played just on the melody string. Mm-hmm. But since then, it's a whole different world. It's taken off and any type of music is available now. Um, and I think I was very fortunate to get a rug and jackal or, um, what can I think of the name, rug and jackal. Hmm. Uh, so I'm drawing a blank on, on what type of instrument I play. But I think I was fortunate, I mean the brand, um, I was fortunate to end up with a good instrument and then Nikki, the gal who taught me the instrument, she said, If you will teach the people coming through Fallbrook, I will order another dulcimer for you wholesale. So that's this Koa dulcimer that I got. Look at how beautiful it is. Hmm. But um, so then I just started playing um, with my mom, playing music. And daddy would sing, you know, he had a great voice, and my mom did too. But, and Bob did, too, my husband. So I, every type of song that I could get that came, that went with this instrument, I wanted to learn. I knew a lot of them. Go Tell Aunt Rody and Go Into Boston and some of those songs. But I wanted to learn everything back there. And then I would go to the festivals. Once a year, they had a festival in San Diego, and that's when Gene Ritchie ended up coming. And I was asked to teach a class with her, and that was interesting because she played in a different tuning than I did, mm. and she played in the traditional Ionian that's back east, and then I was doing Mixolydian is what people on the, this coast.
1: And, and what's the difference? Well, I, I don't know the difference. Just one,
2: just one note, really. Um, oh. D-A-D or D-G-D. Oh, okay. think. Yeah. So just that middle string is tuned down okay. one. There's two Ionians that can get really complicated, but um, I like the chording, the sounding of the chords in the Mixolydian, mm. and so that's what I ended up sticking with. But it was fun to, to teach with Jean because she and I would play the same song, and you could hear the difference in the different tunings, and she never did chords. She never played a chord, mm. but I've got this CD of her with all of the songs that she sang that day. And oh. she talked about how she got into the music. And so that's it. I've just loved music my whole life. I'm in choir. I play, sang tenor. Hmm. but um,
1: And you said uh, Chasing Rainbows was, is that your favorite song to play? Or is that just?
2: No, I don't even play that on here. That's ah. one that I played um, when I was little. So, on the auto harp.
1: So, so what is the favorite? What is the go-to song when you when you pick up a dulcimer or any instrument for that matter?
2: Boy, I really like a lot of the minor sound, the church sound, church music. I like very much, and Irish music. But a lot of the songs that I grew up with my mom and dad singing, I like those. Oh,
1: okay, so you it's you take it kind
2: of yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. kind of hear where was that cd i was gonna oh
1: it's right there right no oh that's the other one Is a different one
2: but it kind of depends on the mood i'm in mm-hmm. what type of song i want to yeah, play I or sing
1: you know i i took up I, I played guitar for you know a year or two i should probably pick it up again but i i, so I, I always I learned four chords and that's, all I got. that's what you need really <laughs> you, get, you get the chorus of most songs was it but um I picked it up for a little bit, and there was always that song I would go to, like, right off the bat, you know, just feel like... Comfy. Yeah, th- that muscle memory, basically. Yeah, I was just wondering what, what yours might have been. So.
0: Yeah. so, tell us a little bit. We're from Kentucky, and, uh, obviously, but... Uh, with a real strong Uki uh, okay, on okay, the end of that. Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> just making sure we get that out here in the open, my, the accent, while we're in California. Um, what, what was it like growing up here in in Southern California?
2: Well, my dad was a farmer, and so we just grew up in a nurseryman. It was second generation. Daddy was then. And then my husband ended up taking the nursery over, and then our boys did. Um, we had cows and chickens and cats and dogs and <laughs> horses. But um, So we would go on um, vacation, one vacation a year. I remember going to the Sierra Mountains, and we would... We'd have to um, go to our loquat tree and squeeze seeds out of the loquats, and then we would sell those for, I remember it was like a dollar a pound. It was huge back then. And that's how we ended up going two weeks camping in the mountains. So
1: cool.
0: Yeah. That'd be fun.
1: I I don't even have anything to say. I mean, that's just cool. And also kind of like what you were talking about with the chickens and horses and all that, it just sounds like you have Appalachia over here. Like you're the opposite Appalachia of us. Like
0: Yeah, it's one of the things that was like striking to me is like I never really I never really considered like the the mountain the mountainous areas here. Uh, just you know, just you think California, you think the ocean. You think LA. But you you come through here yeah. and you're like, Oh, it's just like home. There's houses perched on the side of a mountain <laughs> and
2: I like um Fallbrook because you have to drive here specifically to get here. It isn't you know, like you can't get here accidentally. Mm-hmm. And you go through the big towns like Temecula and Murrieta. Those weren't even around when I was growing up, it was nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob was telling me earlier that you were like basically perched up here by yourself in the, like when you first moved here, right? Mm-hmm. There's only three houses and now, but you still got a pretty nice, I, I was mentioning it was kind of like an island in a way. It is.
2: Yeah. It is. Yes. Yeah, Avocado feel- capital of the world here.
0: That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's it's. We're sitting under like underneath orange trees right now, and it's just so. <laughs> that's why we. Decided. It's so out of what I'm used to. I'm just like, wow. Decided to shoot outside.
1: By the way, we're the elk capital of the southeast. <laughs> just no, no, nice we're, we're
0: the we're the it was the elk capital of the east, and now it's just the elk capital of Kentucky. Oh, so I think somebody beat us out mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point, or maybe they all migrated. And Didn't moved. get enough elk in. That's yeah. That they've downgraded us. <laughs> yeah. I think the sign still says of the east, but it's fine. I'm not sure it's true. We'll hold the title regardless. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, um, how do you, how did you learn about the Hyman Settlement School? Uh, I'm assuming it's probably some connection to the Dolson and You did some research, but tell us a little bit of how. Well, that after happened.
2: we went through, you know, California, I taught at the festivals in California, and, um, a gal by the name of Lois Hornbostel that ran classes out of Boone, North Carolina. She had a one-week class back there. And uh, so she came out here to teach at some of the festivals that we had. And she asked me if I would be interested in teaching some of the um, the elective classes at her, her class. And I said, ooh, I'd like to do that. So um, the first time we went back there, I guess I went two or three times as a student, and then the next time I went teaching, and it was on that one in 96 that I went to Hindman. The gal that went with me said, why don't we go there? The, that's a lot of historical part. It started there with Gene Ritchie and Jethro Ambergi and Smith. Did I get that right? Um, so that's what I did. Oh, we went Sam, went Sam Smith. There, is huh? that the one, Sam Smith, is that the one we was so looking at there? That was Sam Combs. Sam Combs, Combs okay. There's so few of
0: <laughs> them. My family's a Smith, so I should know this. <laughs> no. How can I think of that one? Draw on draw the family bloodline and figure it out, Corey. John. <laughs> that's like all my grandfathers. Names. William.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the most basic name. <laughs> that's what their
0: names were. <laughs> but, uh.
2: So that's where um, we drove through Heinemann, and it was a magical place to go to. You know, especially the names back there of Troublesome Creek. And, and we stayed in the Quilt Makers Inn and had the breakfast that came with it there free. Mm-hmm. And then um, the fellow who gave us the tour, it was a tour, um, he passed away, M- Mike Mullins. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Mike Mullins. yeah. That was our executive director until 2012 when he passed away. Yeah. So
2: he gave us an entire tour, of, and I said, well, where, where are your dulcimers? And he said, well, we don't have um, a lot of the dulcimers from around this area. Of the, the early makers have all been donated to Berea. Mm. And I remember thinking, that's really sad. That mm. They didn't have an Ambergee. You did have an Ambergee dulcimer, but it wasn't Jethro's. I think it was Morris. Mm. And didn't have a Gene Ritchie, which I thought was a crime. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Uncle Ed Thomas, that's what I was thinking. And so I thought if I ever f- am fortunate enough to find any of those. So that was in 1996. Oh, how many years ago was that?
1: 25, right? Is that? Because I, I I was born in 97, so I'm doing the, <laughs> <laughs> the math. Yeah, I think it's 25, right? twenty Twenty five, twenty four, twenty six. 24, 26? I was trying to think Some how many that. dulcimers I had yeah.
2: then. I surely didn't have, I didn't have those at all. Took me five years to get the Gene Ritchie one,
1: and uh, yeah. and we're we're going to see that a little bit later, right? When you go through the, the mm-hmm. history part, yeah, that'd be
0: cool. yeah. So we can go ahead and talk about the the history. I I'm not too sure. Like I don't know much about the history of the dulcimer. I know a lot of it originated in Hyman, and I'm curious, like how how that sort of transitioned all the way out to California. There seems to be people out here making dulcimers. Can you, can you kind of fill us out, fill us on how the history of the dulcimer mm-hmm. and how it came to be? You said it was America's first or only instrument? The only instrument. Yeah.
2: It was influenced by a German Scheidholt and Norwegian Langlike and some of these other ones, but I think it is truly from the that era right there, that area that they came up with their own setup. And um, the dulcimer's, this is a Folk Roots dulcimer, and they made them a half inch deeper so they could be heard louder at the folk festivals because mm-hmm. they always ended up getting put next to, like, the bagpipe oh. teaching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so these guys ended up making the dulcimers louder, and the sound of these I love. They're about, it's about the only one I play, the Folk Roots. Um, well, the tunings back there, back east, are the, like I say, the either DAA or DGD, I think. There's two different, and I'll, I'll probably get this wrong. But um, it was during that Newport Spring Festival and all of those with the, the restart of the folk music that Gene Ritchie was so mm-hmm. famous for. And um, I think it got a whole start on the folk music and the dulcimer just kind of went crazy around there. Mimi Farina and, um, and her singing. Richard Farina? Well, anyway.
0: I'm not sure. So <laughs>
2: Joan Baez sister. So he was famous for playing. She, was, she played the dulcimer, and he did too, and they're singing. So, you know, things start springing up, and you think, oh, I could learn that song. I could do this. And um so then these festivals started. I think that was a I mean in the eighties that was a huge thing. The eighties you weren't around then.
0: <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> I don't think Corey was either what were ninety one. Ninety one when I came to be.
1: Corey was either.
2: <laughs> so I think it's um calmed down a little bit from those all those years. I went three years teaching back to Boone. And that's, you know, that was in the 90s, there, 96. And um, I've gone to some of the festivals around here, but, boy, the um, the change in the music, and the, they didn't have very many players then on the dulcimer. And now it seems like there's, everyone plays it, the dulcimer in a new different um, tuning, uh, songs, which is good. Yeah.
1: And, you know, circuit's doing a lot to make it where more people can actually like play that, play the instrument of their home, their um, home place, you know, just uh, be t- to be able to pick up a dulcimer, you know, and be from not only Knott County, but Appalachian, you know, in general, especially Kentucky is, and then like to pick up that kind of, that instrument of your home place and play that. I feel like that's really special and it's really important to kind of like pay homage to that um or homage to that, uh, that part of yourself, that kind of history. Yeah. So it's
2: did she grow up
1: with Uh, dulcimer? she She grew up in eastern Tennessee. I think she's been playing since she since since Yeah, she I think her, her
0: music teacher in grade school taught her how to play. Yeah. So, she's been playing ever since then, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she's how that went. But, yeah so she, she plays, Sarah Kate plays the dulcimer on our little intro song here. and uh, well, that,
1: that was her in the beginning. Yeah. We got her.
0: See, yeah. I, I I had never heard the dulcimer played like that <laughs> until she came. I was like, whoa, I didn't know it could do that. And we I was blown away when she played that first.
1: We looked at her and we said, we want something hard. Like <laughs> We want the most
0: metal dulcimer you yeah, can like, give, give us. Give us a heavy metal version of that dulcimer. <laughs>
2: that is the, the range of music that you can play on the dulcimer. The first song I heard was um, a Civil War song. What can I think of it? And the first song I heard, it had that drone sound to it. And I thought, I have never heard an instrument that sounds like that. And that was all it took was, can't I can't think of
1: that. Song? It's wild to think about, like, the dulcimer being in the Civil War, that kind of, or is it like a, just a, just a song, song that. that's been.
2: Well, it was a song from that time, but the it, dulcimer was around then.
1: Wow. It's, I, I, do, I, I don't know, it's just, it's weird to think about, like, the whole, like, the drum set and the, like, the, the snare drum <laughs> and have, like, a dulcimer in the, in the mix. It's, it's weird.
0: It's weird to think about. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started collecting dulcimers and uh, give us some some stories of your adventures through the years of collecting them.
2: If I look back on when I started collecting, I didn't start out to collect the dulcimers. Um, I think I was, for sure, I was teaching down in San Diego. And um, this gal was in my class, and she said, I don't have a a six-and-a-half fret. On my dulcimer, do you think I should um, take this in and have a new one put in? And I said, that's a Jethro Ambergy dulcimer. (laughs) And she goes, I don't know what that is. It was just my mom's. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll buy that from you. I knew after going to some of these classes, a historical part, that she shouldn't change that at all. And so I think that was probably the first one that I got. And I ended up buying a dulcimer for her. A trader,
1: yeah.
2: and that so that was number one. That was the first one, and so it just kind of went from there. Then I had good friends, the Clements, who ended up um, going to antique shops and running a store themselves. Okay. And she saw the dulcimer, and she'd call me and say, "We've got a funny looking instrument here. It's <laughs> called a Kansas wind harp. It's thirty bucks. Do you want to invest in it?" And I said, "Oh, yeah, yeah." <laughs> So that's, you know, just little by little people calling. I've had a couple of them given to me. That I have no idea where they came from. But uh, so that's how, you know, I started saving money from art and teaching music and, and then go on the Internet. I would go on the Internet and see if I could find something there. And at the start, you could buy a lot. But then everybody got into, you know, during the eighties. I think the late eighties, people started going crazy on trying to find the history, and Ralph Lee Smith was really influential in that, and his articles on the Dulcimer Player News.
1: It it sounds like you're just like this, like, like you're just making homes for these dulcimers. You know, like you like the thing you told me about the the. Is it six fret, half fret,
2: six, six and a half fret, six,
1: six and a half fret? Just like that—that that girl was just gonna go and add another fret, which would ruin the value of that dulcimer. And I feel like you were just like, I want to save all these dulcimers from having that extra fret put in them, or like, you know, like these alterations. And I think that's, that's cool. It's like I
2: was lucky to have that big wall in there in the house. <laughs> oh yeah, because where else? I mean, they're under the beds. They're
1: right without. in a closet. Yep, being stacked on top of it's. Just like kind of like the savior of dulcimers over here is,
0: Yeah.
2: I know, and they're all stacked up in there. And I thought, oh, dear. But I'm very happy they're going to Hyman. Yeah. Oh, the one I had to chase down. Well, there were two I had to chase down. One was a Gene Ritchie dulcimer. This one right here. And that came from an artist up in Washington, I think, Washington. And she did not want to sell that at all, but she wanted to play it. But it didn't have, see, it doesn't have the six-and-a-half fret on that. So it's hard to play the Irish, a lot of the Irish stuff you can't play. Um, so I I think it was five years of pestering her. <laughs> I bought her one, bought her a dulcimer, and she got to pick out the wood she wanted and the sound. And Oh, I can throw in a case, and.
1: Oh, sweetening the deal, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: so that was nice. I told her, you know, a lot of this is prefaced with, um, if you end up letting me have this, it's going to go to a collection. So that always helped you know, having your name there. Yeah. Um, the the last one I worked with that took me I think it was five or six years to get was the Thomas Dulcimer and I know how rare they are. They're in the um, Smithsonian, and I don't think I'd ever seen one. I had not seen one until I heard about this one, and um, it was weird how that happened. The gal ended up being an artist that owned it, so we talked a lot about music, but it was only because it was written up in the Dulcimer Player News. a Margaret MacArthur was the performer, the Dulcimer performer, and she ended up passing away. And they had an obituary written in the Dulcimer Player News, and it told the history of how when she performed in Chicago that she would always borrow an original um, Thomas Dulcimer. And I thought, guy, I wonder where it is now, you know, if she's passed away. So um, I got in touch with her husband. Mm -hmm. I had to track that phone number down. (laughs) And... um, he said, no, I don't have it anymore. It's back with, it's back with the Sandra Simonson. So I thought, guy, I wonder what she's doing with it. <laughs> so it really, I tracked her down. It just took forever going from one thing to the next. And she said, well, it's not in in Chicago with me. It's back east. And a friend of mine has it in a closet with a blanket wrapped around it. And I don't know if I want to part with it. But then she found out the kicker was is that her son is very autistic. Mm-hmm. And I told her about the autism program, the reading program that you've got at Heinemann. And that's what did it. She <laughs> said, "If let me look at it and um, see if I want to sell that to you. Mm-hmm. And I told her same thing. I'll, I'll buy you a dulcimer and a hard shell case and your son can use that. And I think it was... I think it was years of me pestering her. In fact, I thought she had forgotten about it. it was during, like, a Thanksgiving, Christmas-type um, get-together, and I thought, oh, shoot, well, I'll just try one more time. Mm-hmm. And during the holidays, she had forgotten about it. She says, no, 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 I've changed my mind. And and I I wrote this article on the Thomas Dulcimer and that had been 15 years, I think, since or sixteen years and I just for kicks, I tried her phone number last month. Oh yeah. And she's in a rest home now. She's moved. But I sent her the article I wrote in the pictures and she said her son is um very happy with the Dulcimer. That's great. And so that's that was the hardest one I tracked down.
0: Seems like you gotta be very persistent.
2: Yeah it was <laughs> like a Bulldog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so what is the oldest dulcimer that you have?
2: I've got, well, I've got one from 1840. I've got oh, yeah. Civil War. And um, there are a couple that are undated, but because of the short frets, you can kind of put the date on them. Um, probably 150 years old. A couple that are really primitive.
1: So, is that the same one that was next to the, uh, the snare drum on the on yes. the march? <laughs> yes, gotcha. Yes,
0: yeah, so um, we are out here to pick up these dulcimers and bring them back to their to their homeland, I guess you could say. Um, so, could you kind of tell us what made you to eventually to decide to donate these dulcimers to Hyman? I know you had probably many different options and many places to to send them to, but um, why Hyman?
2: Uh, Ralph Lee Smith, who is the number one authority, I think, historian. I mean, has he written seven, eight books over all the years? And I met him at Boone, and he was instrumental in helping me pick out the the ones to collect. Mm. And the first year that I went was the same year that I went to Heinemann. They had um, a gathering of all the dulcimer players the old dulcimer players, Mm -hmm. and interviewed them on how they got their pattern and how long they had played for. And it was great having Homer Ledford and Ed Presnell and all of these people that were makers. And so afterwards I said, where do you think, uh, uh, Ralph Lee, where do you think I should donate these? I was thinking about uh, Hindman. And he said, well... I don't know, you want to get an area that's going to be, they're going to be seen the most. Well, I said at Berea, they've just got one area, but it just doesn't seem real comfy. I think that's what it was. Is it, not that you guys are, uh, it's hard to explain. It's like you've got a little settlement there, a little home for all these Mm -hmm. places. And knowing that, they could get people that were that went to school there could end up getting free education as long as they came back and worked for three years. That's how Gene Ritchie, Jethro Ambergy, all of them all of them early makers. That's what they ended up getting was their education, and if they came back, and then they ended up teaching dulcimer making there. Mm. And the fact now that you've got a dulcimer. Um,
1: yeah, uh, I think she's a, she, she says she's not, but I'm pretty sure she's a national champion. Like, I think she, she won that, yes, like, some kind of contest she or did. something. Oh, you know, you yeah. know for sure? Yeah. She's She said she did it, like, on an off year of someone she knew was real good, but Sarah, <laughs> Kate. Sarah Kate's good. <laughs> Just got to be humble about it.
2: Yes. That was in, I knew, we almost went there in Kansas. Winfield. 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 So. middle of nowhere
1: now i'm gonna bring her back to circuit and be like see i told you you won <laughs> <laughs> like she, that's that's kind of what she opened with when she well not open with but like you know upon getting to know her she's
2: yeah there's several that are really unique one i got from pond creek oklahoma and um you could it's amazing on the internet i typed the maker's name in and he lived there, made the dulcimer, ended up dying there. You can see the plot where he's buried in Pond Creek, Oklahoma. But he's got these cutouts of pheasants all over him, pictures of pheasants. Oh. He must have been a hunter. Mm-hmm. And the sound holes are different in that one, too. It's three sound holes instead of the original heart. got a series of three. But Heinemann just kept coming back to me where I could have all of the people that had gone to school there I mean they didn't go to school in Berea they didn't go to the Smithsonian and I think Berea is going to be I I think Heinemann going to be the up and coming area to go to find get that historical feel and see all of these instruments
1: I'd like to think so you know I think I mean Berea is nice and all but it's no <laughs> Heinemann no no, no. I think Berea's really turned more into, like, a college town at this point. They've got, you know, Berea College there, and, you know, I mean, we got Alice Lloyd, but Alice Lloyd's kind of like, you know, Pippa Passes, and we're, we're right in downtown. We got that kind of historical vibe
0: going on. And
2: How far are you from Pippa Passes?
0: Uh, Ten. Ten minutes, probably.
2: Because I went there. That was that one dulcimer that has a little heart there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: You picked that. And you, uh, did you, whenever you went to the Blackie, and you had to... Go up that, up cra- that hill. crazy hill, was, was that to get a dulcimer or was that that was to meet somebody that makes that yeah, was to meet okay. the man
2: that taught there at Pippa Passos? Oh, okay, Malos yeah, Point. yeah.
1: That's like that's like almost like a legendary mystic story. It's like you had to travel to the top of a mountain to get We'd teachings, heard, yes. yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah well, I guess, I mean, you probably have some pretty crazy roads here mm-hmm. <laughs> mountains, but was that was that an ex- just like
2: it was just like straight up. Like what we had um, when Grandpa, when we'd go up to some of the nursery lands, that we had one at our ranch that was going, oh, my gosh. In fact, we called it Clyde Hill because our dog was in this truck, and the brake went off, and he rode it all the way down (laughs) to the bottom. But this was scary straight up in Blackie.
1: Oh, yeah. We got a couple of those. But his
2: wife I called. It was the same type of thing. I called her. And told her I was writing a story on her husband. He had passed away about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. But that was that was interesting, too. We stayed the afternoon with him and had tea. And she showed me all of her wonderful baskets that she made. His so, wife. That sounds did,
0: like a symbol. did Ed Thomas also make baskets, too? Did Ed? I, I feel like I saw pictures. Maybe I'm just thinking of somebody else that was making baskets. But it seems like he also made baskets. Yeah, I know you're looking at me for <laughs> confirmation and it's not coming from over here. Yeah. I don't remember. But
1: But that that kind of story you told about the tea and like the It's kinda of what you have us set up here instead of baskets you're showing us dulcimers and like Yeah. We were. Well
2: Blackie, when we went to Blackie, you know, I always was taking pictures. I've got the picture in there that I took of the store in Blackie. And it had homemade honey and cur jars and, and uh, sweet potatoes and I love all that stuff.
1: I mean, we, we got a local honey maker in Heinemann. Is it
0: Emily, right? Is that Well, she lives in uh, Viper, not too far from Blackie. Oh, it's basically. Yeah. I mean, it's ba- yeah.
1: It's it's our people regardless. <laughs> yeah. But uh, her honey is delicious. That's a free plug for you, Emily, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's a windy, windy Wendy Hills. Hills coffee and honey. And tea. And tea. She's got the trifecta. <laughs> yeah
0: got everything you need to have a good cup of tea and coffee all about it <laughs> um yeah so uh, I, I i just find it so interesting how like you know this instrument that's very like instrumental to uh the hyman area and eastern kentucky and just just the connections that are just all across the country and and how now here in 2021 it's brought us here to california to to have a conversation um, and to pick up these dulcimers and bring them back it's yeah. An interesting story. It's very I mean, interesting.
1: There's, there's no way that you would feel ca- like Hyman has really any connection to California. Yeah. But like, here we are. Hyman is yeah. in California. Our history
0: is here. It was
2: comfy. Hyman was very comfy to go yeah.
0: to. We were, we were talking on the way here. It was like, you know, California, this area is like, this is what sets the trends for the yeah. rest of it. And, and it just disseminates back to Hyman eventually. Like, 20 years later, we finally pick <laughs> up on it, probably. But you know the Dulcimer, kind of we kind of we, we kind of started that trend.
1: I feel like we start all the trends.
0: It's just that we're behind
1: on them, <laughs> or we're so, we're so far ahead, no one gets it. Yeah. Then it comes out here. Then it comes back, and then it's cool. But yeah, that's it. I think I think we're trendy before trendy. <laughs> we're we're the trend starters. Yeah. That's just that's just me being a,
0: an advocate. It's probably true. <laughs> um, Not hardly. <laughs> so so, what legacy do you hope to? that this, this collection of dulcimers and hymen leaves for all collectors of dulcimers and, and lovers of this kind of music?
2: I, I think it's important to be able to actually see the original, to see a Thomas dulcimer. I remember, I don't, I don't want to go to the Smithsonian to see it. I want to go to the area where it came from to see it. And um, so I think that's what you've got there, all of the people like Gene Ritchie, Gene Ritchie, the Ritchie family. And there's probably dulcimers I've got there that I don't even know that went through Hindman. But to be able to go in a smaller area and see a bigger collection, I think, will, will say a lot.
1: To kind of see it in its home homeland mm-hmm. and kind of get that, that feeling of... They're going
2: to be know. purring. Dolsmers are going to be purring.
0: I know. <laughs> we'll be listening. Uh, finally home. We're home. It's <laughs> good. All right. Well, I think it is lunchtime for us. Josh is oh. back, and
1: uh, aren't we going to do the
0: what? <laughs> I mean, we didn't make any questions. Oh, I thought that's what those were. No, that's from the last time. We can ask them you again.
1: Can do maybe. the ricochet?
2: Yeah. Like that.
1: Oh, it's well, it's it's for our lightning round. I just do a very subpar lightning sound. <laughs> Here we go.
0: I worked real hard to get that on the soundboard. Yeah, lightning round. Lightning round. All right, Jordan, start us off. So right. <laughs> we're, we're we're recycling these questions from episode twenty-two, but we'll say
1: them uh, in reverse, so it, <laughs> so it's different. Yeah. do um, do that. Oh, yep. Yeah, then don't start with the last one, right? <laughs> so, um, or the <laughs> or the fourth one. These were very specific. These are very
0: specific to Maryanne. Yeah. Well, okay, we'll start off the first one. So we just had Thanksgiving. Literally. Wait, what is today? Today's Saturday. Two days ago. What was your favorite Thanksgiving dish? (gasps) Me? Yeah.
2: This was crazy. We really didn't have Thanksgiving except from a restaurant. But it was outstanding. The (laughs) cafe, which we're going to tonight. But with me just getting over this surgery, and Bob's been doing so much extra work, um, we had a great, great Thanksgiving dinner. It was good. My favorite part always and always will be is some mashed potatoes and gravy, by far.
1: That's a solid, solid choice. Lumpy but or smooth?
2: Smooth. Mm. And for teaching different. art, I would ask the kids, what is your favorite? And probably 85% of the kids say mashed potatoes and gravy.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a cranberry sauce fan. I'll, I'll die on that hill with the, with the cranberry so sauce.
0: So we made, or the settlement school made, we had a little staff Thanksgiving dinner, and they made a, uh, like a hominy green chili casserole. Ooh. And we made it for ours, and it rocked my world. Like, I ate oh, the I whole pan. The it was so good. I, yeah. Yeah. I have it on my phone, I think. So okay. I'll, I can get that to you. No, let me say it I, was really good.
1: I went up to Cat's family for um, Thanksgiving up in Louisville. Sherry Coatley's yams. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Shout that out was to the Sherry best. Co- I hope she's listening. That's, <laughs> this is for you, Sherry. But uh, you're. God, those yams! I, I talked to Kat about those all the way home. God, they were so good. Yeah. I
2: need that recipe too. Yeah.
1: I don't know
0: if you'd give that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made I made a sweet potato casserole. That was good.
1: Pretty good. Uh, this was this was marshmallows right on the yams. I thought of a I thought of a lightning round question. You ready for it? Yeah. So you you've grown up on a farm, right? You have a lot of exposure to all these fresh fruits and vegetables, especially being in California. What's your favorite out of all of them?
2: Um, the oranges I love, but since I've gotten older, they're not so great on my stomach. Uh-huh. But I would die with an avocado. Okay. Uh, these avocados that we have are so good. And in the morning, to have a rice cake, which sounds ridiculous, and butter, avocado, and a little bit of salsa,
1: I could get behind that.
2: And then you can have coffee. And then you wake up with
1: ready to go. <laughs> like a like a, like the rice cake's just a little bit of crunch, right? It's it just the vessel. So good. The vessel,
0: right yep. for the avocado, vessel, like the avocado toast. Yeah, that probably originated here.
1: Yeah, were are, are you, are you the trendsetter for the avocado <laughs> the toast?
2: Avocado, I loved it. Except when we were little, I think we were very poor, and we would get to s- school. We, I've got a twin, and our sandwiches by then were about an eighteenth of an inch thick and black. Avocados had sat all day long. Oh.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So when I got older, I liked them. I ate them fresh instead of after five hours in the heat. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't know that I. I mean, I don't know that I've really had a fresh avocado before, no. like never.
0: I've never
2: like, <laughs> getting ready to have some. Right they're they're either really, excited. really
0: hard, like hard as a rock, and you have to wait two weeks before you can eat it, <laughs> or, I mean or they're like, too mushy.
1: I don't know what the etiquette is for. I, don't I don't mean, either. like I know that they get to the store. And that my assumption is you eat them then, but I don't know that what what the rightness is. I just don't know. It's just I don't know. It's yeah, a little bit
0: soft. Yeah, yeah. I was like, my wife taught me to to pick out the good ones because she's very particular. <laughs> I was like, and you can Ugh. get it
2: over the hill and then you might as well throw it away. I told the president of the American Farm Bureau that they were perfect when they were about like your muscle in your arm, and then I felt my muscle afterwards. And I went. Gosh,
1: it's gonna be rotten by then. <laughs> so I had to go correct it. So it's a little little soft, right? A little like
0: soft. A little soft. Yeah, just a little soft. Okay.
1: Now now I'm come I'm coming back behind with all this knowledge.
0: Once it gets others. soft, I think it's it's pretty you can go go south real quick. Awesome.
1: <laughs> I think that's what yeah, I think that's where I was at. Yeah. But I'm I'm big excited. So excited. Yeah, I'm
0: pumped. Uh
1: it's pretty they they set us up. They're going to make us the fresh the fresh guacamole, and it's.
2: He makes I'm, good guacamole.
1: I am very much prepared for for this day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so the next uh, lightning round question is: If you could travel through time, which era would you travel to?
2: Is, does that have to do with uh, the dulcimer?
0: No, just or in general. But I, I figure your answer might have a dulcimer yeah. kick to it. Uh, I'll I'll change, I'll tweak Corey's question.
1: I want to know both. I want to know the dulcimer time and your your personal (laughs) time.
2: Let's see. You know what? We grew up on a farm. It was so magic. It really was. Um, Daddy sold avocados and fruit to Calavo, so we would get these hundreds of boxes of Calavo boxes dropped off on our ranch.
0: What's a Calavo?
2: Calavo boxes, California avocado. Oh. But the boxes were about this long, a yard long by two feet, by about 12 inches deep. They were so sturdy, we made like forts, palaces, <laughs> two and three stories of, um, you know, we would just make these forts that were unbelievable. That sounds so then cool. Then we would sell uh, lemonade, we would pick fruit, and sell it to our neighbors who felt like they had to buy from us. <laughs> and one year, my twin and I ended up buying, we ended up picking all of these oranges that were very, very experimental. and used. At the, they were used at the university to study seeds, and they were worth a fortune. And my dad came home that <coughs> night, and he said, Oh, my gosh, where are the oranges from that? So we had to go. Get the oranges back that we had sold, but I loved. I love that would be the late fifties. So I would be like twelve, fourteen years old. That was like a m- magic era to me. I don't know why. Yeah.
1: I could. I could imagine building palaces out of crates. Oh my and gosh! Like, I mean,
2: yeah, we just spend the day down there.
1: I. I. I think I also want to go back to the nineteen fifties, that exact time on that farm. I that's. L- that's me.
2: I love it, and then we had. Vista, we had Osborne Street and Barsby Street, parallel streets, and we had we had our own baseball team. So we had people that would come over and challenge, and it would always be at the bottom of our hill, where we had third base, first base, homemade. Um, so that was fun. I loved that. <coughs> I loved all my eras. I really do. I think people have a much harder time now with everything that's going on in the world, and all of the setup like I mean we had a we had a party phone growing up I tell my grandkids we didn't have air condition in the cars we didn't have TV I mean I was what were we 12 14 we had TV so it's so strange now you had to actually get up and turn on the TV <laughs> um,
0: I still have to do that as so I don't have a, my remotes broke I think <laughs> that's the moment TV? I would not watch TV <laughs>
2: It's in the 60s. I like the 60s, going to school and meeting my husband and getting married. And so it's been 52 years we've been married. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's great. And for as far as dulcimer, I think I got interested in it at the perfect time. My kids were older. <sighs> I can remember them saying, could you go in the other room, please? I am so sick of hearing go tell Aunt Roddy. They come up with another song. I really worked at learning the dulcimer. You know, it wasn't as easy as some people when they start out playing. But I was pretty much driven to learn it.
0: So I'm curious, speaking of the 50s, that's when Disneyland began, wasn't it? Yep. So I'm curious of what the perspective is on Disneyland here. You grew up during the time of that.
1: Real quick, when Corey asked that question, he looked directly at Josh. Yes, at yes, because
0: I know Josh is sitting right behind the camera, so I'm like looking right at the camera. But yeah, he is the Disney Disney master oh, over there. So, I've
2: got a Disneyland coupon book for you if you'd like. <laughs> yes, the D tickets, the A tickets, the yes. I remember going the first couple years at Disneyland opened. Oh wow! And one of the ticket books was lost. I remember that. My dad going crazy. No.
1: Oh. Just out of curiosity, how much did it cost to go to Disney World? Just like when it first opened. Disneyland. Yeah, Disneyland. It
2: was pretty expensive then for what we did as far as entertainment. I mean, our entertainment was picking loquat seeds (laughs) and going to the mountains. That was a huge thing. I think that was the only vacation that Daddy took during the year. So we did a lot of home projects at home. But I'm trying to think. I think it was twelve fifty for a book of of um, rides. You got the A ticket, A, B, C, D, E. And I think it was the E ticket was the Matterhorn and was the Matterhorn then there? Yes. So we went there for our <laughs> high school graduation.
1: I, I, I keep looking over at Josh for confirmation. He's like, Yes, the Matterhorn <laughs> was there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So it sounds like it was kind of like more of like a traditional, you know, like you go to a carnival and you get tickets for a certain ride. Was it sort of more like that? Like now you just buy a ticket and you get a you fast pass again, and just go get yes. whatever you want.
2: You but got uh, Mr. Lincoln. Mr. Lincoln was an A ticket. Or Progress Carousel was an A ticket. And then Toad's Wild Ride, those would be a C ticket. And a D was a pretty good ticket, but the E was the most expensive ones. Huh.
1: Huh. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're gonna get an earful. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's gonna gonna us. I will. I'm
2: gonna go back and get my I've got those coupon books back there.
1: What do you do? Josh is pumping now. He's giddy. <laughs> <laughs> Look I've been to his house and it's he's got the the retro Disney maps and are like you?
0: that's that's his aesthetic. He's got an Etsy business of selling like so the year Disney I, stuff.
2: the year I graduated from high school, that I think was the first year that we were everybody in this area was went up there for high school graduation. You got they closed they closed closed it down, and the gal that they gave away a car that night, you got a Mustang. Shirley Otis got the Mustang, and she couldn't drive. She had <laughs> epilepsy. Mm. And I thought out of all the people, could have gotten that. <laughs> that's okay. She made some money.
1: Off of that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I um, wish I wish my high school graduation would have looked like that. Just uh, yeah, I just. I mean, we went to. Uh, I think we went to Universal for graduation. Like they closed down the park, but it was like a lot of other schools. Was it just like your school? Or no, it
2: was. was it a, I think San Diego County.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think we had like people from all over the country. <laughs> it was like so many different people, but it was like all like high school age kids. So it was like owning the park for a day. It was kind of nice. I think
2: we had the Supremes sing that night. I mean, it was a big deal.
1: The the what?
2: The Supremes. W- what did Motown?
0: Oh, gotcha. 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 Oh. That's fun. Wow, that does sound like a magical time, an <laughs> era to go back to. I'm
1: envious. <laughs> as
2: far as the music, I think I learned at the, the perfect time. I have I have talked to the gal that taught me, and we've decided that that was the best time to start the dulcimer was in the 80s.
1: Oh. Ooh.
2: Do that a lot. I would have noticed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great to thank me. You, thank you.
2: All right, so I would play um, maybe one called. How do you get you can take
1: the song? headphones off if yeah, you want. That yeah. would be good. Yeah. We won't make it too too complicated.
2: Uh, I will play. I was going to do the water is wide, but then I'd have to sing it. Um let's see. Okay, this is called When You Come. Out. Think of the first song I heard that made me want to play, and I think it was. uh, I can play it, but I can't think of the name. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Uh, that's interesting. I was watching your hands. I've never seen like somebody use like, the side of their thumb. The side of their thumb? Yeah.
2: Well, they have sticks. They used to call them a noter, what the mountain people would play with. And, um, but I had a harder time holding that. Um, yeah, the sound of the dulcimer is just really great. Do have a? I was trying to learn a Beatles song. You can do so many things on this, but with my hands the way they are, they, it's going to get better.
1: What was the Beatles song?
2: I Will. Let's see if I can do You'll get the start of it.
1: that it sounds familiar like yeah. I, I got it on that tr- kind of like drop there like that kind of it went down a bit but.
2: well uh, one time i could play that i'll i'll get it it's gonna come back to me i know
1: and we'll we'll ask sarah kate about the one in the middle song and we'll see we'll see what she says it is. The what? We'll, we'll we'll see what she's what she thinks that song is and we'll we'll put it in the show notes so <laughs> we can just
2: which one the second one the this, one i look le- yeah is, it, it isn't southern soldier boy but it's um That was the first one I heard. I know right where I was in Fallbrook when I heard it. Oh my gosh, and it happened to be the gal that, that owned the music store. But, so, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll see if I can play one that my mom and my grandparents played, not on the dulcimer. But mom got to where she was a pretty good dulcimer player. This one, my grandparents, grandpa would sing Um, and it's called Believe Me If All Those Endearing Young Charms Mm -hmm. Can you see the hawk? Oh yeah (laughs) Okay Believe Me If All Those Endearing Young Charms and Grandpa had some extra words with this and Grandma used to say Oh Arthur (laughs) Okay Okay (laughs)
0: <laughs> Masa that's one of the, that's one of the few things I'll, I remember from Spanish class.
1: Mas
2: yeah
0: <laughs> I can order things in a restaurant.
1: <laughs> I, I don't have any conversation yeah.
0: well we uh, we thank you so much for for the time you've spent with us today on the podcast and for donating this collection of uh, lovely dulcimers that you that you uh, have collected through the years and I'm sure it's not an easy not an easy thing to part with after after collecting I mean, them all these years. It's a good
2: years. part. It's a good part. And I know they're going to be on the walls talking like at night like, "Oh, you're from Bico." You uh,
0: yeah, Vico. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I mean that'll be fun. I I also just I want to personal. I I've never been out this far west. I have never been on a plane and I just I want to thank you for like giving me the opportunity to do.
2: Oh, that. I'm for so so sure. Please that you came. I just
1: yeah. I mean, I'm. Ha- this is magic. <laughs> I mean, I don't even.
0: Oh yeah, It <laughs> reminds me. Jordan found a little, little, little souvenir on the street. We won't, we won't bring that. <laughs> oh
1: no, we got to now. Okay, so I found <laughs> this chain just on the street, like on the ground. He's so happy. Just in about the it. middle, like middle of the street. Really? Yeah. And now but he's I was, just. I, I just took a. I got up this morning at like six o'clock because I don't know what time it is here, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, just walk down the street, and there's—I mean, I just took a random path, and there's chain right there in the street. And I'm like, "Well, it was meant to be." No. <laughs> Yuck, so, yeah.
0: He's, I don't even—he's living the dream. Yeah, well, you this were
2: talking about lightning three weeks ago. Lightning hit our neighbors. Oh wow! Knocked out their the pool and their chimney, and I was playing dulcimer right here, and I thought a bomb had gone off. I've never had anything yeah. that frightening. with We've, lightning.
1: We we used to have uh we used to have horses and up on the hill once we were I think we were just clearing brush or something. And this lightning bolt is like probably I don't know, forty feet, forty forty yards away. And it was like you could it was just solid like blue white and it just blew this tree to pieces and it's the loudest sound you'll you'll hear. Like it that is was, like a bomb.
2: Yeah, yeah, I thought I really thought it was. But, but
0: yeah. We're gonna yeah, put wanna, a pin in it. We're gonna oh, yeah. get some uh, dulcimers packed up and uh, be on our way back to Hyman soon. So once again, we just thank you so much for everything, and uh, uh, thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the Hyman Cast. And my name's Corey Terry, and I'm Jordan Collins, and we'll see you next time.
1: The Hyman Cast is brought to you by the faithful and generous supporters of the Hyman Sentiment School. For over 100 years, we've so been celebrating heritage and changing lives in Central Appalachia. If you're interested in supporting the work of Heinemann Settlement School, you can go to our website at www.hymon.org or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the handle at Hyman School.